Amen. 21 years. That was footage from our 20th anniversary, but just so encouraging and exciting. Well, we're going to make some comments just about the season that we're in, the Lord highlighting, giving us a tip-off about increasing accusation that is coming against the body of Christ. I mean, it's already present, and it's going to escalate in the days ahead, and the Lord is giving us a tip-off, and I'm going to take a minute, uh, Mike's going to make some comments, and then I'm going to take a minute and look at Romans chapter 8 and how we practically respond to some of those things. Well, before that, I just want to mention the 21 years is that we are so grateful to the Lord that so many have contributed. You know, we've had about 20,000 people in the 21 years that have been in our midst in a full-time way. Wait, and slow down. Say that again. 20,000 people have been either a full-time staff member or a student or an intern. And most of those 20,000 have been here three to five years, many of them longer and some of them shorter. And so my point in saying that is 19,000 are around the nations, and we say thank you to them, because it doesn't matter if you're here or there, we all have an inheritance together, because we've poured out our labor and our love together, and we just say thank you, 19,000 in the yes, nations, that you, you labored to build this house. And some of you came early, like this guy, 21 years, and some came later. You joined a month ago. We're in it together in the family of God with this purpose. And of course, the purpose is bigger than the prayer room, but the prayer room is central to our assignment, but it's not all of our assignment. We have, we wanna be a functioning New Testament community that touches our city, has godly families, that raises godly children, that's in the marketplace. All of us together is the only way it works. And with day and night prayer at the center, and Friday, that's the, yeah, that's key to our assignment. Everyone doesn't have to do that, but we do because God spoke it audibly to us many, many, 38 years ago. But Friday night, we had a three-hour uh, service here celebrating the uh, 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 21 uh, years. So, uh, so many of you were here, and many of you were not, and it's okay. It's all on the internet, on YouTube. If you want to participate and watch that, it's all there because we don't want to go over the same material today. Yeah, we're going to mention a few right. things but we set a bunch of it there, and so join in with that on YouTube if that is something that uh, touches your heart. Good. Well, look at Romans chapter eight. Again, the handouts are available online on our website and then in person as well. And feel free to jump in on this as much as you want. Yeah, well, we, I, I'm gonna be brief on this. I talked about it three, four Sundays in a row for a while as well as Friday night, and so I'm gonna be brief, but... There is a spirit of betrayal. There's a betrayal culture in the church. Jesus prophesied it in Matthew 24, verse 10, that there would be betrayal. Betrayal is not strangers being in hostility to one another. Betrayal is friends and family members and coworkers. And he's talking about the body of Christ, not just the culture. It's in the culture, but he's talking about his people that they will end up getting offended or when they're mistreated or their goals are blocked by another believer in the church, in the ministry, in the marketplace, in the family, brother, sister, father, son, their, their hearts get you know, disturbed. But at the same time of the betrayal culture in the end times, in the generation the Lord returns, Matthew 24, John 17, there's this miraculous recovery of the family of God Jesus said it will be so unified that it will parallel the way the Father and the Son are unified. So the body of Christ is moving in two directions at the same time. 
And of course, all of us are somewhere in the middle. Just like people ask, is there a great harvest when the Lord returns or a great falling away? In that generation, the Lord returns, both of them are happening simultaneously. Many times there's an increasing negativity and in a contrasting, increasing glory happening together. And so when we look at our culture, we see it in the culture, the betrayal, but I'm talking about in the body of Christ. People, the fuse is getting shorter, the offense is getting greater, the, the, the accusations, but here's what's happening. In Revelation 12, and I'm just gonna go another minute or two, so get ready to jump right in. Satan, Revelation 12 is describing the generation the Lord returns. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, not just the accuser of the culture, not just the accuser of unbelievers, but he gets in the middle of the brethren to accuse. It is critical in Revelation 12, we get that he accuses the brethren. He accuses them to God. God doesn't listen to it. He accuses it to them. They do listen, he's gonna address that. It's one of the great problems in today's, in the body of Christ, sincere believers weighed down with the accusation, the whisper of Satan's narrative inside their own heart against themselves. But then they accuse their family members, their brothers and sisters, friends, because an accused man accuses. When I feel accused, I don't have near as much grace to not accuse you. And so the enemy knows this. Interesting that there's Satan is a murderer, Jesus said. In John 8, he calls him a murderer, but the book of Revelation doesn't say, and Satan, the murderer of the brethren, because there's gonna be much persecution and martyrdom that's even happening. One of the reasons, because when martyrdom happens, the church explodes. Martyrdom always is like one famous guy said that the blood of the saints is, how's that go, is in the soil, the seed of, you know what I mean? It's a famous quote. The blood it, of the martyrs is the seed of the church, I think, or something And the like glory, that. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's a great quote, but anyway. <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, I nailed it. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> But martyrdom causes the church to really explode, but accusation causes the church to implode. So Satan goes, I am a murderer, but I'm not gonna highlight that, I'll do it. Uh, I'm gonna go after the brethren to get spouses, to get brothers and sisters in the kingdom, in the ministry together, to get father and son who are in the marketplace or the ministry together. Uh, people, uh, you know, they're just in the marketplace, they're both believers. And you know, I look at you and say, you know what? It's not that you're my enemy, but you mistreated me. I had a promotion coming my way and you blocked it. I had a promotion coming my way. You said things that stopped it and I'm not letting that go right now. And so the enemy is wanting to stir that up in marriages and families. And I might make one more last point is well, that- I, gotta, I wanna jump in on something on that because the accusation, you know, the enemy, Satan, demons, devils, whoever, they don't have a physical mouth to accuse other believers or our family members. They can't do that. They need your mouth. And that's what they're trying to do. Because, and here's why. Because Jesus has given his bride, his people, incredible authority through their mouths, through their words. The scripture makes that really clear. I'm not gonna develop that right now. That's a great but point. But that is though. a big point. And the enemy, when he looks out at the peoples on the earth, 
He wants to release his accusation through those that are anointed in their mouths, which is the brethren, the people of God, the church. And so because you're a believer, you've become a target for the enemy to try and get you to use your authority to tear one another down, to be in a spirit of suspicion towards one another and jealousy and envy toward one another. He's trying to hijack your mouth day and night because he needs it to give voice and language to the accusation that's going up before the throne right now because he can't just release it on the earth without the help of people. So that should alert us to the seriousness The accuser of, of the brethren and the generation where there's a supernatural restoration of the family of God. But we've got to act in the opposite spirit of accusation because the guy really did mistreat me and the guy really does have those failures. So I'm not pretending like he didn't. I'm gonna cover him, not ignore it, and I'm gonna forgive him, but I'm gonna move in the opposite spirit. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44, that famous verse, he said, do good to your enemy, bless them with your mouth, and talk to God and ask God to bless them, pray for them. It's like, ugh. And when we move in that spirit, I don't know that when I pray for a guy that mistreats me that they really get blessed. Maybe they do, maybe, maybe they don't. I don't know, but my heart gets liberated. It's like doing push-ups over and over. You get liberated just a little bit every time you move in the opposite spirit of an accusation towards a real friend who really did say things against you, who really did mistreat you, and you're look there, and, and we want to tell their story of what they did, and the Lord says, no. Tell my story about them. Doesn't mean they didn't do it, but you're gonna cover them with your mouth when you talk to others, and you're gonna actually bless them like, ugh, don't lie, it's not flattery. Find a virtue that you can say that's true. Like I said the other Sunday, everybody loves their mother and their dog. I mean, just say that, heck, I really love this dog. I mean, you gotta come up with a virtue. That was blah, blah, blah. Anyway, bless them, there are virtues. We don't have to make them up. And we don't have to say, they're amazing. No, the Lord says, don't do that. But find something true, then do good to them. Use your resource, your time, your energy, your enthusiasm, your position, and do a little bit for them. Just even a little bit. And talk to God and ask me to bless them, the Lord says. And what will happen is, again, they might not get blessed, and they may not do a whole lot. Who knows? But I get liberated. And then I'm on the trajectory of what God's doing in this generation, restoring that supernatural unity in his family, in, in, in our natural families. And we're really on this because the culture, uh, right now we're seeing the, the accusations rise. And we, with millions of others, we wanna be those that move in the opposite spirit. And the Lord is saying, okay, do those push-ups. Do that day by day by day, and your spirit will get liberated. I'm gonna go sit down there, okay? Okay, sure. All right, Romans, Romans 8. Go ahead and look at that. Hey, gonna, I really nailed that uh, quote, didn't I? You that nailed it. I mean, you're I on fire. <laughs> Romans 8. I'm not gonna read this whole segment here. It's on the notes, just verse one. And many of you know this well. There's therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paragraph A, the Lord is highlighting, he's tipping us off that there is an increase of accusation that's coming and this betrayal culture that Mike has been 
highlighting. It's already here upon us, and it's going to increase and escalate in the days ahead. And what the Lord wants is he's calling us to respond like Christ did when Christ was faced with betrayal and accusation. The scripture tells us he did not bring a reviling word back to those that persecuted him and that mistreated him and betrayed him. This is very shocking that Jesus responded in this way, and it is very offensive to call a weak human being like me, you know, in the natural sense, it's offensive to call me to respond to accusation and betrayal in this same spirit, but the Lord wants us to have free hearts before him. He wants our hearts flowing in love and getting into this John 17 spirit of unity that he contended for in that prayer. This verse here, 1 Peter 1, verse 13, this is what we're after this morning. We want the loins of our mind to be girded up. Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind to be sober and rest your hope. In other words, put your trust when you're getting ready for the battle of what's both emerging and will emerge more and more, this culture of betrayal, Get ready, position yourself. How do we do that? We rest fully upon the grace of God that's made available to us through the gospel, and it's brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This idea of girding up our mind is like the warrior that is preparing for battle. There is a battle that is raging in the body of Christ and in the prevailing culture of accusation of returning evil for evil, of you slighted me and I'm gonna get you back. You gossip behind my back, but I'm gonna get you back in a way that humiliates you and makes me look like the hero. And this culture is becoming stronger and stronger. And the Lord says, I want you to tune into this spirit. I want you to tune into this battle. I want the the loins of your mind like a warrior to be girded up and strengthened so that you can stand with me when I begin to move in your generation. Paragraph B, <clears throat> the way that we resist accusation, like Peter's highlighting, is by fixing our minds fully on the grace of God that comes through the gospel. There's no other truth, there's no other experience, there's not some secret seminar that you have to get into, that you have to break into in order to partner with the Lord with what he's doing right now and resist this spirit of accusation and betrayal that is increasing. The gospel of Christ is powerful enough. It's strong enough. But the thing is, Peter's warning us, you have to gird up your mind. You have to fill your mind with the truth of God's word in order to be adequately prepared for the battle. You don't wake up Monday morning, tomorrow morning, you know, after coming to church, hearing a message like this. You don't wake up tomorrow adequately girded for the battle of accusation and betrayal. It doesn't happen overnight. Like Mike was saying, it's, it's like doing push-ups. You do two push-ups and you're not gonna see any sort of results. You're not gonna be that much stronger. But it's continuously and consistently applying the truth of God's word, the gospel of grace to our spirit so that we are transformed and that we relate to God, we relate to ourselves, and we relate to one another differently. We have to gird up our mind. 
The gospel of Christ is enough to cause us to walk in victory in accordance with his divine power. He will give us grace by the Holy Spirit as we lean into this, as we go, I'm not gonna resist you. I'm gonna partner with you. I wanna be in the right spirit. I wanna respond to adversarial relationships with a right heart. I wanna respond to betrayal with a right heart. I wanna respond like Christ. I wanna respond like he did to accusation and betrayal and conflict and family dynamics. I mean, Jesus had really intense family dynamics. His brothers did not accept him until after the resurrection. He's like, guys, you saw me raise the dead. You saw me cast out demons. And they're like, we're not really sure you're the Messiah because they were so overly familiar with him. And the Lord wants us to get into his narrative and into his storyline over one another. Well, Romans 8.1, Paul begins to show us how we must think about ourselves as Christians, as believers, and he states that we are in Christ. The way that a person thinks of themselves is very important because it establishes our orientation and it establishes our destination. Where is it that you wanna go? Where is it that you're headed toward and where are you presently? And how are you engaging with the battle that is raging right now in our society, in our culture, in the church, in the spirit? What is your orientation? Where are you right now? And the Lord wants us set in an orientation that is fully in him, an agreement with his heart that's walking with a heart of tenderness and humility and godliness, even as these things, in the negative sense, begin to escalate in our culture around us. If our orientation is one of defeat, then our destination will be one of doom. Though Paul is urging us to get a right mind and a clear mind about our standing and our position before God, because the one who is condemned the one who buys into the accusation against them that's condemned, they see their destination as doom. And what that means is that when trouble uh, surrounds them, when the pressures of life surround them, they will not run to God and the grace of Christ that's available to us in the cross, they will run away from God. They'll push away other believers. They'll push away the Holy Spirit. They'll push away the word of God because their orientation is one of condemnation and accusation and shame. And Paul says, I want you to understand that when you're in Christ, you're fully in him. And someone might say, well, how, how much in Christ am I? And Jesus says, or Paul says rather in Ephesians 5, he says that you are the flesh and bones of the body of Christ. You can't be more joined to him than you already are through the cross. And the cross is our saving grace. It is our redemption for standing against the spirit of accusation and condemnation. Look at page two. What is condemnation? Condemnation is the final sentence that's handed down after a process. It's a final sentence that's been handed down after a process. Now, when we condemn ourselves, what we've done is we've done the process ourselves. We've evaluated our life 
and we've come to the conclusion about where we're going. And for most people, they live under this spirit of accusation and condemnation that leads them to believe my destination is separate from God. There's no way that he could accept me. There's no way that he could love me and enjoy me. And so they've made the judgment over their own life. And the Lord doesn't want us to make the judgment over our own life. Then when we condemn and accuse others, it's because we've made a judgment on their lives with the very little information that we have. When we relate to a brother or sister in Christ, especially, I'm gonna talk mostly in terms of the church, we only have 2% of the information of their life. But they mistreated us, they were mean to us, they were rude, they, were, they didn't invite us when we wanted to be invited, whatever it is, and we make a judgment, a condemnation based on that 2% of information. And the Lord goes, whoa, 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 time out. I have a whole story over their life that I want you to see even a portion of it and celebrate because if everyone's life, if the, if the sentence over their life is only in accordance with the 2% of your life, no one is going to stand before me. You're forgetting the cross of my son. You're forgetting the power of Jesus. You're forgetting his blood, his sacrifice, his resurrection. You're forgetting that the spirit indwells that other believer. You're forgetting that they have a calling in me and you need to take that into, the, into account before you get into this accusing, condemning spirit that is toward them. Often a believer, paragraph C, they condemn themselves in their mind. And we live under this constant voice of condemnation and accusation that's telling us that we are disqualified. And that's what's happening in Zechariah 3, this passage the Lord has been highlighting to us is that the voice of the accuser says, you are disqualified, you are unfit to walk in your calling, you're unfit to fulfill God's purpose for your life, you're unfit to be loved and enjoyed by the Father. And the answer, the solution to this is to gird up the loins of our mind with understanding of the gospel and the truth of his word so that when those accusations arise, we have tools to combat that spirit of accusation and that spirit of condemnation that wants to take us out. The propensity of most is to overemphasize the power of their sin and failure and to minimize the power of the cross of Jesus and the blood of his sacrifice. And almost every day, I mean, I'll speak for myself, almost every day I'm guilty of this. I exaggerate how powerful my sin is and I minimize the power of the work of the cross. And the Lord goes, Isaac, you've gotta get into my narrative about how I see you and about how I relate to you. You can never make yourself lovable and enjoyable to me. He goes, I did the work that you could not do. I fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. I lived a sinless life so that you could exchange your failure, you could exchange your sin, you could exchange those accusations that are true and real about you, and you could live the life of my son and adopt and receive the righteousness of the man Christ Jesus. The Lord wants us in that understanding. And we've gotta remind ourselves of it 
We've gotta remind our children of it. We've gotta remind our spouse of it. I mean, it is so easy to stray away from the truth of the gospel. It's like, you look at it for a minute, and it's like, all right, his work, and he's redeemed me, and he enjoys me, and then two seconds later, we're in the wrong mindset, and we're condemning ourselves, and we're angry at the guy in our small group, and I mean, it, it just, we switch so quickly, and that's why we have to prepare, and we have to do push-ups, we have to get into the rhythm and the routine of seeing things in accordance with the gospel of Christ. Paul summarizes what is true of every Christian when he says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. This is true of every believer, not just the ones that have the same viewpoint as you, not just the ones that share your opinion, not just the ones that are in your ministry stream and affiliation and they like the prophetic and they like the end time. This is true of every person that puts their faith in Christ for their justification. There are many more people that Jesus likes that we do not like and that he has redeemed and that we'll see them on the sea of glass, hopefully, you know, if we make it, we'll see them on the sea of glass. We'll be like, how did you get here? That is crazy. And they're gonna be looking at us like, how are you here? Whoa, you know, and, and it'll be fun in that moment, but you know, now it's kind of terrifying to think about that he would save people that we didn't like. You know, at one point you were an enemy of the cross, just remember that. So Paul summarizes in this statement what is true of every Christian. He, and, and I'm gonna put it in my own words, but in essence it's this, it's that the verdict over your life is one of innocence and victory over the power of sin and death. You take on the very innocence of the perfect slain lamb, Jesus, and you come, you'll come in the likeness of his resurrection. You are the object. This is true of you and every believer that's in Christ. You are the object of God's eternal love, and he's brought you into that shared fellowship and experience with him. Glory to God. You're the prize of heaven. You know, just wake up in the morning, just declare that over here. I am the prize of heaven. He, he came after me and he delivered me and he came after everyone that I know and he delivered them from the power of sin and death, those that are in Christ. And you are the joy of the Father's heart. I love this. Jesus says in John 8, he says to the woman that's being accused of adultery, he says, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And then he says, neither do I condemn you. And that's the truth of Christ and what he speaks and what he feels over your life and over the life of the person sitting next to you and over the person that's in the ministry that you don't like for whatever reason. It's true of him. He exhorts us to not walk according to the flesh but rather to walk according to the Spirit. We talk about this. What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit? I'm bringing this to a close, and then we'll go to about 30 minutes of our panel time. To walking according to the Spirit would mean to agree with God's narrative over my life and over the life of others that are in Christ, to actually agree with it. His narrative, not how did they treat me, not what did they do wrong? How did they say it wrong? They kind of got carried away in our friendship group and started saying some weird stuff from the Apocrypha, you know, and ah. 
It's to agree with the way Christ feels and the price he paid for them. We gotta walk in the spirit. We gotta not buy in to the fleshly, carnal, cranky kind of tone and temperament of the day that is so prevalent right now. Those that walk according to the flesh, I'm just gonna go through these briefly. It's on page three. Those that set their mind on the things of the flesh. The flesh is our unaided human effort or our unaided human perception. It's what we see in the natural. It's what we hear. It's what you read on the internet. You know, most of what we see and, and hear and experience is the unaided human effort to understand and make sense of the world. But the Lord wants us to call us, or he calls us rather to walk in accordance with the spirit, to walk with an aid. We need an aid to make sense of the accusation of the enemy, of the increasing darkness in our culture, and to fight for that which Christ has fought for and purchased with his own blood, to see brothers and sisters, even those whom we disagree with, as precious and valuable, as precious as the very blood of Jesus Christ. The believer that walks in the spirit, they set their mind to please the Lord in all that they do. Ooh, I love that. The call, I mean, it, it, it provokes me, it, it pierces me. The call that Jesus looks at me, he goes, I want you to set your mind on the things above, not on the things below. I want you to set your mind on that which is pure and noble and holy. I want you to get into my news headlines of what I say and what I'm speaking over the earth and what I'm speaking over the nations and Israel and your brother, your sister, and what I'm speaking over you. He says, I want you to set your mind on these things. It has, it's intentional. There's a, there's a decision that we have to make to set our mind on the things of the spirit. It doesn't just happen overnight. Number two, they view themselves. We view ourselves as believers and our circumstances through the gospel of Jesus. The gospel, the good news of our salvation, it becomes that interpretive lens by which we make sense of what's happening and what we're experiencing and what we're feeling. I need less of my own interpretive lens being, you know, put on this kind of situation and well, here's my opinion on politics and, and, and here's my opinion on where the church is at. And here, I gotta get a different lens. I've gotta go before Jesus. I've gotta go before the word. I have to allow that word to transform my mind and my emotions to purify me so that when I have uh, uh, something to say or pray or do, I'm doing it as if Christ himself were doing it. I gotta get my mind transformed. I gotta get my heart transformed. You know, my, my prayer is, Lord, don't leave me as I am. Change me, transform me, mold me into the image of your very son. We're aided by the spirit. And like I mentioned, Romans 12, we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're gonna have our panel go ahead and make their way out right now. I'm gonna pray for us in accordance with this because uh, even last night, the Lord was highlighting to me how the accusation of the enemy gets down into the spiritual family. 
And when the Lord rebukes the evil one, the battle's not over. But the evil one, he begins to manifest that accusation, what we were talking about earlier. He begins to try and use our mouths to accuse one another. The Lord was highlighting to me specifically marriages last night in a dream. And the Lord was highlighting how that accusing, condemning spirit gets into our language and we tear one another apart and we come under this yoke of heaviness and the, and the enemy's trying to divide us. And we need to go in that opposite spirit, the spirit of meekness and humility through the lens of the gospel. So I just wanted to share something really quickly. The, um at the beginning of the week, on, or actually last Sunday after the message, I just went to the prayer room and began to pray through some of the stuff that the Lord had been highlighting, and I turned to Psalm 51, and Psalm 51 is a psalm of David after he has sinned with Bathsheba, and the psalm is so powerful. I just wanted to share this as a practical way that you can respond and pray some of these verses, but it says, wash me and I will be clean, cleanse me and I'll be made white as the snow. And that's, that's the part of the gospel that Isaac's talking about when we receive the gospel for ourselves. And then it says, so that you would be found just when you speak and blameless when you, when you judge. And that is the part of where the Lord has given us as intercessors and as people who carry his name and his word, that we would have authority in our lives, that the name of God, that when God speaks through us, that he would be seen as just and that he would be seen as blameless because the accusation against God is you are not good. The accusation that the world would say against God is he's not a loving God. If he's loving, how could he do this? But when we when we come under the authority of the cross and we come under the authority of, of the blood of Jesus, it's the wash me and I will be clean. As David says, like, I acknowledge my transgressions. And he's praying this prayer and he receives the cross. He receives the power of the gospel in his life. And then the Lord is found just when he speaks and blameless when he judges. We're gonna move uh, into our time, our panel here, talk about this and talk about accusation and condemnation, how we walk together as a spiritual family and even things that pertain maybe to the larger body of Christ and what the Lord is emphasizing in the earth. And I, I, I'm just struck again by this, this last, you know, kind of this last point. The enemy is trying to hijack our words right now. And I think we just, we need to key into that reality in our spiritual family. We need to guard our mouths. We need to, you know, we need to put that muzzle, so to speak, upon our lips and be just aware of that heightened warfare around our words so that we don't end up in that accusing spirit. Well, we were talking about some things uh, backstage here before the service with our, with our panelists here. And these are all leaders at, at the missions base. You should... Most of you know who they are, and uh, I wanna start with Dave. Just give us some things that the Lord is stirring in your heart and this issue of accusation and how we respond as the people of God. Yeah, I thought you said it well. As it relates to our primary problem, the, the human problem is distorted vision. We never really see God correctly. We don't see ourselves correctly, and we don't see others correctly. We see through the distorted lens of pride 
which exaggerates in both directions. And the, the Lord addresses it in the Sermon on the Mount with the, the plank and the speck. We, ha- we, uh, we have a giant plank, but rather than focus on our own issues, it's so much easier to see the issues in others around us. The Lord addresses that. It's our self-righteousness. It's the way in which it's easier in the pain of our own weakness to focus on someone else's issues as a way of feeling better about ourselves. So we exaggerate their issues to not have to think about our own. But then what you said so well, when the mirror is applied to ourselves and we're forced to look at our own issues, then we do the same. We exaggerate our own issues rather than seeing them rightly. And I think uh, the genius of the Lord's leadership, because one of the things we forget, Matthew 5, that's right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for, bless them, serve them. He gets us into a way of serving people we don't like that are close to us almost immediately. And, and it's the genius of how the Lord deals with the human condition because he knows if by, by our proneness to self-righteousness, we're gonna spend more time viewing others' weaknesses than dealing with our own, then he just goes, I'll work with that. I'll start by letting you be you, but then I'm gonna show you them. And if I can show you them as I see them by getting you into blessing and forgiving and serving, when they get in your way, when they make life hard, when they make life awkward, if I can show you how I see them, that'll strike your heart and it'll actually help you see you rightly too. Because when you exaggerate their weakness, but then you hear my heart, suddenly when the mirror's turned back on you, you'll, you'll have to do the same with you and see yourself rightly. And so the Lord in his kindness is constantly dealing with our distortions of vision, but through tenderness. And, it, and again, it starts right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount by getting into seeing it in others even before we see it in ourselves and in my own pastoral leadership, I almost want to do the reverse. Like I want to look at somebody and go, no, let's get, in, let's get you into how God sees you. And the Lord goes, well, why don't you start by getting them into how God sees the person annoying them the most right now and watch what happens. That's beautiful. That's one of the gifts. I'm hearing you communicate one of the gifts of community in our midst, that the Lord, he sets the lonely in families, he calls us the body of Christ, and he actually uses those interactions to end up transforming the way that we see ourselves by calling us to serve one another. Yeah, it's, the, uh, it's the, the great problem of loneliness is the problem of exalting our own opinion over one another in a way that causes us to miss out on the gift that we are to one another. We do it both ways. We both have an opinion about who the person is and the negative that keeps us separated but then even amongst our friendships, our friendships are limited because in our minds, we've decided who they are. And once we decide who we are, we're setting a limitation on intimacy. Rather, because intimacy is the joy of discovery. It's the joy of discovering who we are. And if we can set aside our opinions of who we are that are, set, that are dividing us and then not limit who we are when we're together, the joy of discovery actually leads to beautiful friendships that we would have never picked. It leads to beautiful intimacy that, that we might not have preferred because we tend to go by personality and what we see in the outward related to who we wanna be with. And the Lord goes, if you'll just put that aside, your loneliness problem could be solved by getting into my opinion 
You end up with a lifelong friend, and then if you can discover the beauty of that lifelong friend without your own opinion getting in the way, the joy of discovery will keep the friendship fresh. Benji, you had a comment on that, and then say the thing about the categorizer, because that goes with his point. I've heard you say a bunch of times. Yeah, uh, with both of your messages, um, that's what gives me, I, I have a lot of hope right now, because that's part of the gospel and the, a prophetic community. You know, we believe that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit. And the spirit of prophecy, according to Revelation 19, is a testimony of Jesus. It's, and it's not, it's like a two-sided coin. It's not only what we know about him, but it's a testimony of, that Jesus has about us, including the ones that we don't like. So when we say that the Lord is going to pour out his spirit, part of the package is that we're going to have Philippians 2, the mindset of Christ. It says, Philippians 2, Paul says that what the gospel does is not only changing our attitudes and not only changing our, our pattern of conduct, but it gives us the mindset of Christ, the way that we see one another changes to the point that we can actually fight for one another's eternal greatness. You know, I mean, uh, on Friday we were talking about the... The little conflict that me and David, we used to have. And, uh, and I had a stronghold in my mind and that shaped for a year how I, I saw Slyker for a year. And he didn't do anything to me. It was just this distance and lack of communication. It just makes the lie greater and greater. But it took one second of the Lord telling me what he thinks. One line about him. In my mindset, it's not that, oh, now I'm going to try to become better friend with Slacker. It was like you were saying, it's not like, let's just go watch football together so we like each other. It was the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of what Jesus has about him. It's downloaded in a second. And then your heart is transformed. And now I see Slacker and I'm like, Lord, give me opportunities to fight for his greatness. It, it's a complete transformation, and that's what, what I love about your message, Isaac, is that we're talking about the power of the gospel. is beyond what we can even try to do. It's part of the package of the cross. And I love, an, um, just last thought, Philippians 2, Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And I love this first word, let, or another word would be allow. It's just allow the cross, allow the benefits of the Holy Spirit to be in you so you're transformed and you can see one another in those lenses. Yeah, I've been thinking about Philippians 2 as well. And just to acknowledge this is hard to do. This is, this is. Wait, and what's the it? Just say it to again. To do what Benji just said, I mean, it, it is Mike's calling it push-ups. It is pushing against the current of everything that is natural to us. And, and part of that is because accusation, we're immersed in it. Like, it's not intuitive at times to recognize accusation. We have accusations, like, like Isaac was talking about. We have accusations in our soul towards ourselves all day long. And in that atmosphere, it is so easy to have accusations towards one another. It, it fits in so well. There, there's nothing um, that 
I mean, there's nothing more going against the current than to get into another narrative, which is the gospel. And so I just, I just want to bring it down to, this is so personal. Like, we all have to do this in our own minds every day, both over ourselves and towards one another. It's that taking every thought captive. It's me seeing, wait a second. I mean, just this, this week, wait a second. Let me just re- bring that thought back through and put it on center stage. Does that go with the way you feel about me, Jesus? I am so critical of myself. Wait a second. No, I, I resist that in the name of Jesus. I repent. That's gonna lead me to unbelief. That's gonna shut down my heart. And so over my own soul and then over my brother and my sister and my, you know, our family together, our spiritual family, our friends, like we've gotta do this labor. And, and so just to, these are, these are beautiful truths that take real work in the day-to-day that we have to be willing to do because it's called loving the Lord with our mind. It's part of loving him, and then it's loving one another. There's a unique assignment on our spiritual family to pray and worship 24-7 as one of the core things that we do. Like Mike mentioned earlier, it's not the only thing that we do, but it's one of the core things that we do. And there's a unique assignment of accusation against those that set themselves in the house of prayer. I mean, that's what Zechariah 3 and 4 is addressing. And Dean, I want you to comment on this in a moment. Zechariah 3 and 4 really brings forth the two main kind of adversarial points to those that are called to the worship and prayer movement, the house of prayer and a praying community. And it's the filthy garments of Zechariah 3 and it's the lack of resources in Zechariah 4. And I'm just, I'm just, constantly aware of those, even uh, more recently, as the Lord is highlighting this to us, that we tune in to what he's saying here. The two reasons that you quit and that you give up on your assignment, I'm talking about the corporate assignment, is because of the defiled garments, the accusation, the condemnation from the enemy, and it's the lack of resources. We don't have the right ideas. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough blah, 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 blah. Those are the two main things that deter us from our assignment in the Lord. And I think that's true of many assignments actually in the body of Christ. But Dean, you've looked at this past, these passages a, mu- a bunch. Make some comments on that. Yeah, I think uh, uh, on the one hand, everything we're talking about is discipleship 101. It's something that applies to all of us. Uh, on the other hand, I think we have to understand to the degree that we feel called to be a part of uh, uh, the prayer movement. The prayer movement is a reformation movement within the church. And uh, Zechariah 3 and 4, again, speaks to the whole body of Christ, but it speaks uniquely to the prayer movement. And uh, when, we, when we connect what's happening in Joshua 3, uh, sorry, Zechariah 3 with Joshua, and the accusation that's brought against him, and we look in the eschatological context of Revelation 12, when you see the accuser of the brethren, and it, 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 it says he is the accuser of the brethren, the, the deceiver, and he, his, his deceptive work is the work of accusation. That's how he gets us, is by convincing us to be deputized in his labor against one another. 
And uh, that, that process, I think part of the why the Lord is highlighting this so much for us over and over again is because we have to get a hold of this because the accuser is going to bring so much accusation against uh, uh, the prayer movement itself and within the prayer movement against one another, we have to get our perspective right. We have to get our outlook right because we can't be a life-giving reformation movement within the larger body of Christ if we're constantly throwing stones at one another. And the displacement of the enemy at the end of the age is all about how we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and, and the thing that strikes me about that is we love to boast and celebrate the victory that comes by the blood of the lamb. What we don't want to do is be lamb-like. We want to we celebrate what Jesus did as the lamb because that was awesome. But when it comes down to Dave bothering me or, or my wife and I in conflict or a friend uh, uh, betraying me, I don't want to be lamb-like. I want justice. I want, I, I want uh, them to understand my perspective, not me to understand their perspective. And, and that is the rub of practical discipleship that we, because we're a community that talks to God, we can get his perspective on that. Meaning when accusation betrayal hits us, our propensity is to rise up and rah, and answer back. Yes. Them. I mean, I think of uh, just a couple years ago when I was a freshman in college. Don't laugh. Uh, <laughs> they had colleges? <laughs> yeah, but they weren't in color yet. <laughs> it had to be said. <laughs> uh, psych 101, psychology 101. Uh, 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 psychologists do lessons on this. It's human nature. They would set up clinical studies that there would be, there would be uh, a, a series of people that would walk through a room. They would film them. Some of them, they would trip intentionally. The people wouldn't know it. Then they would have other people watch those people being tripped, and then those people would walk, and they either walked well or they tripped. And the clinical study was analyzing how people process their own faults versus somebody else's. And it is, it is human nature, when they would watch somebody else trip, they would internalize it as that person's lack of, of ability. They just aren't, you know, they were unsteady on their feet, they weren't paying attention. It was always something that person was missing. But when I tripped, when I was the one that tripped, well, now I'm blaming external forces. So we would blame internal flaws on somebody else, but when I'm failing, it's external forces. Well, somebody, the light in the room wasn't right, or they didn't tell me that was there. And so that's just human nature. We do that. If we can get a hold of that, now we have a way of processing the speck in the log issue. It's all a matter of perspective. It is, I'm seeing what's wrong in somebody else. I actually have the same thing. My issue isn't actually any different it's just that much closer to me so I can't see it, but it's that much bigger if I could see it. I, 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 just one funny thing. I, I, I remember reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy years ago. It's kind of a funny science fiction book, and maybe three people in the room have heard then? of it. Yeah. 
The most powerful weapon in the universe, the most powerful weapon in the universe was called the point of view gun. And they would, if you could get a hold of that gun, you could turn an enemy into your friend because you could, no matter how much they hated you or saw you or wanted to, you know, eliminate you, if you could shoot them with the point of view gun, they would see your perspective. And, And this is so true in our lives. We don't see from the other person's perspective. We only see out of our perspective, and our perspective is bent to justifying ourselves and faulting them. But the Lord does a work in us when we talk to him, when we pray, when, we, when, we're, when we're moving together in community, and we're aware that that's our tendency, now I can start from the position, what am I lacking in this equation? What, is, what do I need to own in this process? And now all of our guards are down because I'm not trying to accuse them and they aren't trying to accuse me and we have space to work on it together. And uh, um, on what you're saying and then we're saying too is that we have to call it the way it is, is sin. If we want to have those resets when we get the downloads from what God is saying and thinking about others, we need to call it what it is. God never promised to forgive excuses, but sins. So if we always are making excuses of, well, it's because he did that or that is happening, you don't understand. We don't call it sin. It's not washed away by the blood of Jesus. And that's the only hope we have for a reset of our mindset is to call it sin, repent, and that's when we get a, a new start. You know, a couple years ago, we had what's called, what we call the Chinese convergence, where a thousand Chinese came here and the Lord moved in a really significant way. And I think that he's still moving. And Dana, I want you to comment on this in a second. And it seemed like part of that was the Lord getting us to lean into how to see one another beyond just our function, beyond just our gift. What are you good at? Can you do that here? If not, that eh, we don't need you. But he began to reorient you know, this church community to see one another as a spiritual family, we're on that journey still. Because I think that first installment a couple years ago was the Lord getting our attention to lean in. And he's going, hey, I don't want you just to relate to one another as an organizational piece. I don't want you just to relate to one another as cogs in the machine of what I'm doing with IHOPKC and Forerunner Church. He goes, don't do that, you're not just cogs. I'm a father, you're my children, and I want you to begin to see and celebrate in the family what I see and celebrate, and I think that the Lord is, is allowing us to lean into this next season together, and Dana, you were sharing some things on that backstage. Yeah, I mean, I'm so encouraged at the way Jesus keeps leading us. He's so kind, and I do, I feel like this is another installment of the convergence said another way, it's the Lord getting in our space a little bit more deeply. It's like, now let's talk about mistreatment. Now let's talk about betrayal. Now let's talk about the deeper levels of accusation in your soul. I really want to bring you forth in great love. I have every intention of doing it. You're going to have to partner with me here. You're going to have to die to yourself. You're going to have to repent. There is a way forward, and I'm going to bring you to mature love, this family and the bride of Christ at large, but we have to partner with Jesus. And so 
Yes, I just feel, I feel like what he began at the convergence, he's doing at another level. He's, he's taking us into that deep love for one another that even really covers a multitude of sins that's willing to, to do the labors, to do the push-ups, to push against that stream. And, and our hearts are tenderized. I think that's what he did. He tenderized us, and he's continued to tenderize us. Tenderness is needed. Right. We need tenderness right. to go to the next place. But tenderness is not maturity. Right. But he's, but he's tenderized us, us enough that we can actually go deeper now. And he really is. I, I'm just encouraged. I, it's like I can see it. Jesus, you're really doing it. He's doing it. He's going to be faithful to continue. Dave, this next question's for you. You know, Friday night, we're doing something similar to this, and we're talking about the season that we're in and accusation, and it was striking me. We talked about it a little bit, but just how here we are together as a spiritual family. The Lord's emphasizing gentleness, blessing our enemies, and, and you know, you look out at the prevailing culture, and there's just a war going on. And that war, to me, from my perspective, seems to be increasing and getting louder, because people... People are running out of ways to malign and hate one another. They don't have enough vocabulary anymore to adequately convey and communicate the absolute hatred and animosity they have for the other side, whatever side that is, political, religious, whatever. And just how the Lord, we're in this unique, weird, you know, I mean, it's the kingdom, but we're in this weird thing and the Lord's going, no, 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 I want you to be, I want you to go in the opposite spirit. Just talk about that. Yeah, I think Mike has just drilled this point repeatedly on a very intimate and personal level, but however you look at it, whether it be the national, political, or the personal and relational, you know, Dana said the key phrase and it's related to the key issue, it's power. It's the things that we do to try to gain an advantage related to what we want. And so what kind of world do we want? What kind of life for my kids do I want? I need power to bring the changes I want to have the world that I want. Whether that world is, I want to be the main singer on this team, or I want to be the main leader, I want to be the main voice. Our ambition and our desire for, to acquire the power to realize that ambition causes us, now here's the key phrase, when in conflict to uncover one another, to use another sin to our advantage. Love covers a multitude of sins isn't just protecting somebody. We think about it as don't tell anybody they're a sinner. But the way that Jesus covered is he refused to use our sin to his advantage as it relates to the issue of power. Rather, he dies for our sin. Wow, you gotta say that again, that last part. Jesus refuses to use our sin to his advantage. He refuses to use the sin of Pilate to his advantage. Jesus could have exposed Pilate to everybody present. He could have immediately acquitted himself by calling out Pilate's last five sins. He could have done it in private. He could have said, Pilate, you're about to crucify me to appease the masses so that they think you're a good leader. Here's the five things I know about you, Pilate, I mean, his wife had a dream. I mean, there's more to this man than you think. Pilate could have frozen his tracks. Jesus could have used his sin to his advantage and, and, uh, and avoided the cross entirely just through a minor expression of the spirit of prophecy. We, we, the issue of covering isn't just the issue of protecting or not telling. 
The issue of covering is refusing to use one another's sins and weaknesses that we can see to our advantage to get what we want. We want something. That's our eternal problem. It's not just that our vision's distorted, but also we want something, and the person standing in our way put it all together. We can see their speck. They are in our way. We can point out their speck to get what we want. And the Lord goes, no, I want you to cover. I want you to not see their sin as an occasion to advance your cause. I want, that's what we do in cancel culture, right? We use people's sin as an occasion to take advantage and advance our cause. We see someone's sin as a way to gain power in our situation. Even if it's little, even if it's petty, even if it's small, and the Lord is calling this family in this season to go deeper in the revelation of covering one another. It's not just fighting for one another, protecting one another. It's a refusal to use one another's weakness to our own advantage to advance our ministry, to advance our goals, to advance our desires. We actually begin to prefer the brother over what we want. Therefore, we're willing to cover because we want to see that brother win more than we want to win. Jesus covers because he wants to see us win more than he needed to win. There's, there's being right, but there's the need to be right. And we use one another's wrongness to advance our need to be
promotion. And the Lord's inviting us right now to let him bring that person to mind and release grace to change the narrative about that person that we would go from the accidental misuse of our power related to our knowledge of their weakness into the promotion of that person, the fighting for their destiny and their calling. So all over the room, I wanna invite you and I wanna invite those of you that are, that are watching to do the same. It's always stranger to do this in the living room, but there's a powerful small act of faith in just engaging with us and not being passive as you watch. I wanna invite you to close your eyes here and there as you're watching. And I wanna invite you to hold out your hands like you're receiving a gift. We're just putting ourselves before the Lord and we're asking him to help us. We're saying, Lord, here we are. Who is it? Who are they? It might be three people. It might be one or two. But Lord, who are they that you would set on our minds and on our hearts today in a new way? Who are they that you want to turn us from accidentally opposing to promoting? Who are those that you want to help us use our power differently to serve and to bless, to get behind? It's more than forgiveness. It's a fighting for. Lord, I'm asking that you would get us out of our passive distance and into an active engaging of loving and fighting for. Give us out of our secret passivity, our willingness to settle for distance because of what we know. Get us into an active affection and a desire to see the greatness of another. Right now, Lord, I'm asking that you would put that person front and center right on our minds right now here and at home and wherever people are engaging with this. I'm asking, Holy Spirit, for your help in this threshold, in this key moment, minister to us. Well, if you'd like prayer, if you'd like to respond to this, you've got the person in mind, but you're wanting to stand with somebody and go, I just want someone to pray with me on this. You don't have to name names. You're just going, I want grace. I just want grace. I, I know I want to respond, but my heart's funny, and I just want grace. I want to stand with a brother, stand with a sister or anything you'd like prayer for, we wanna invite you to come forward just to present ourselves before the Lord. We're going, Lord, I'm wanting you to turn my heart. I'm wanting you to make me tender in a new way. I'm wanting you to work meekness in me. I'm wanting you to work that gentleness of heart, that slowness to not use power to my advantage, but to use Whatever power you give me to the advantage of another, Lord, help us. Help us. Again, if you you'd like prayer for anything, oh, go ahead, you, Isaac. Yeah, you have conflict with a family member, a loved one, someone in the body of Christ. You don't have to say who it is. They may not even know that you have conflict with them, but in your heart, you've been stung and you're, you're tempted into that accusation and you're tempted into using your knowledge, like Dave is saying, to gain an advantage, to prove your point over them, I wanna invite you to come forward. We're gonna come before the cross together. We're gonna get into a different narrative. Others of you, you feel so weighed down by the social narrative that's bouncing around, politics, religion, angry about this, upset about arguing or whatever, you feel heavy and weighed down. You go, I gotta get out of that spirit. 
I got to get my heart clean and flowing again, I want to invite you to come forward as well. Jesus, we come before you. Say, wash me and I will be clean. Cleanse me, God. I will be made white as the snow. Lord, we acknowledge our transgressions. We bring it before you and acknowledge it as sin before you to agree with the accuser over ourselves and over our brother. We acknowledge our transgressions before you. And we exalt the power of the cross. You are greater than our weakness. You are greater than the condemnation. You are greater than our hearts. When our hearts condemn us, we say, Jesus, you are greater. Wash us, wash us, Jesus, in the blood, in your precious blood. We receive your mercy today. We receive your forgiveness today. We receive your story over our lives today. We receive your evaluation over our lives. You see the deep places of our hearts that man could never see. Lord, you evaluate us differently. Help us to see what you see. Help us, Lord, to feel the way that you feel about ourselves and about one another, about the brethren, about the church, about your bride, about our families, our children. Wash us, Jesus. Cleanse us. Wash me now. 